Rivers, Amy. Powered by Riverside. That's who I. <laughs> All right. Good morning to our listeners around the world. I uh, am living the dream. Recording today from Oregon, Eugene. I have not got my partner in crime, Mr. White, with me. I had to leave him back in uh, the land of the Oz. Um, but I am joined by two spectacular educators today. Uh, I have Amy Shackett. Is it Shacken or Chacken? Chacon. 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 It was neither. Wonderful. Um, and I have also Sean Duncan. Uh, Sean Duncan here with me. Um, who are um, fabulous educators who uh, who just made founded their own school. So we are going to hear a whole about lot about their story today, how that came to be, and um, find out a bit about what makes them tick in education. So Amy, we'll uh, we'll kick off with you first. Can you tell us the schools that you went to, and um, and the universities uh, that you went to and what you studied? Absolutely. So I grew up in a small uh, town in northern New Mexico called um, Taos. And so the schools that I went to there are are the local elementary schools. So uh, my high school was uh, Taos High School. I come from a much smaller town outside of Taos, very rural, and that's called Arroyo Hondo. So Arroyo Hondo Elementary, which actually doesn't exist anymore. But I graduated from Taos High School, and um, I went to both of our state schools, uh, New Mexico State University, as well as um, the University of New Mexico. But where I where I really found my home was in California, um, at California State University, San Marcos, uh, which I absolutely loved. And I got my undergraduate degree in human development with an emphasis in child development. And then where I really, really found my people and my calling was at San Francisco State University in the social justice and equity and education program. And that's where I got my master's degree in education. Fabulous. That makes so much more sense to me now about what you're doing. And Sean, tell us about you. Where did you go to school uh, and, and universities? So I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I went to St. Anne's Regional School for K-8, to um, and then I went to Wildwood Catholic High School. My uh, undergrad was done at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore. Um, after that, I, uh, I taught for a while, and then I went back to school um, for my leadership uh, and education uh, program for uh, master's with the National Lewis University, which I did remote, like sort of in a distance learning context, but that's in Illinois. Um, and then um, the program that has definitely set me on the course that I'm currently on now is my school psychology program. I became a specialist in school psychology about eight years ago uh, through Nichols State University in Louisiana. You've been around. Cool. That's all over the place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, all yep. right. So um, so I want to know yeah. then, so the, the whole reason of this podcast is about, um, uh, about identifying those teachers that have really made a massive difference in your life. So you guys have, uh, we'll go deeper into what you've actually done and created and the moral purpose behind it all. 
but there's been teachers along the way who have kind of guided you and and shaped you into um, into the way that you think and, and act. So we'll start with you, Amy. Is there a teacher that you can you can name that you can remember that had a massive impact on on your life? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking of so many, uh, so many teachers. Uh, my first grade teacher uh, um, was absolutely; she was just one of the most lovely human beings on the planet. And I just, I don't, you know, when you're so young, you don't know all the things that a teacher does that makes it magical. But I just remember having a really magical experience with her. Um, I remember very vivid moments of hugs and conversations and tales and ways of explaining things and I, I, that I don't even remember in my adult life. Um, I think more significantly when I got into high school, it was you know, there was, it's a small high school with not a lot of opportunity. Um, and there were some teachers there that were, were opening little windows uh, for students who hadn't been to other places. So um, I, I think of two individuals that really made a difference in my life. One was our uh, science and biology teacher. Um, and I think he's still a teacher to this day. I mean, his role was really just to bring the sciences to students. And whether we were able to master the content or not, we were always welcome. That, that made a huge difference for me, was being able to walk into his class. And even if I had fallen asleep in there the day before and was mortified, there was no judgment. It was a new day and I was able to sit down and do the science lesson and if I hadn't passed that test, he was always available. And I remember he was even there in his classroom when our soccer team, we were the, we created the first girls soccer team for our high school. We scored our first goal after probably nine games. It was a very magical special <laughs> moment because we've been working hard for that goal. And he came running out of his classroom to cheer us on. You know, that's, that's a really special educator. So he made a huge difference in my life. Um. That's beautiful. And then my awesome. university professor, um, obviously. I'll... So, 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 so now's the time to name drop because I think the whole point of this um, um, this podcast is is that the teachers are all along the way. They're the heroes. They 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 have those connections with you. They challenge you in the right times. They support you in the right times. So um, so they often won't get a platform for somebody to actually say their name and the impact that they, that they made. So tell us about your professors as well. Oh, and you're going to have to forgive me because oh, I'm, you know, I'm 45 at this time. So I may not have some of their names correct in my mind, especially from undergraduate, uh, my cultural anthropology, my cultural anthropology uh, undergraduate uh, professor, Changed everything about how I saw the world. And she did so many things in and outside of our university experience. We we had field experience opportunities in the class. And I took a couple of different courses with her. I would go and um, see her in her office hours and she'd offer books. And um, I don't remember her name, but I remember her face. And I remember so many details of all that she presented to me. Um, in that time. So um, one person I'll never, so ever forget, I'll despite never the fact forget. that I, I'm not going to be able to name drop on that one. I'm so, I'm so sorry. 
We'll we'll tag her in. Um, we'll find you, you'll find her name, and then we'll tag her in so that she knows how special she was. Um, and Sean, so tell us, um, tell us for you, who was your um, who was your person or people throughout your schooling? Yeah, so I I have three, and I'd say that they all kind of played different roles. So in high school, um, I had a teacher, and you know I went to Catholic Catholic schools growing up. Um, because that was really important for my parents. And um, even though I'm like full in public educator in my life right now, um, but I, I had a theology teacher. She also taught French. Um, I had her for theology, but um, she just showed up for kids all the time. Like it wasn't like she did these dynamic things in the classroom that I remember and blew my mind, but like living in a small community and seeing somebody who's like shows up to your cross country meets, checks in, you know, 10 years later, sends you a Facebook message. Um, Through this day, she's still like, I'm so proud of, you know, what you're doing um, and to encourage and connect like that. Um, And her name is Mary Kane. um, And she's actually fighting cancer right now. So all positive intentions uh, out to her. Um, And she's still, you know, she's still super involved with my high school. Um, So, Miss Kane is uh, well-loved in our community. So she had a huge impact on me just to sort of show that, like, how you show up for your kids every day isn't just in the year that you're teaching for them. Um, In college, I had uh, a phenomenal professor. Her name is Jane Edwards, and she was a history professor. And she was a very, like, I guess, like, extravagant. She would, like, show up to classes dressed in like medieval gear and like she would teach like we were in the 1500s um like she was a person from that time and she was really like good at getting me excited about my major which was history and she just got us super into the content um and she told it like a story like it was uh you know a soap opera or like an Us Weekly magazine story um, that just made it super juicy um, to help us remember the details that mattered. Um, And then my last best teacher that I remember, he passed away, I think, three or four years ago, maybe five years ago. I was in my school psychology program, and he was actually a terrible teacher. And he would laugh at that. Like, he, he taught us about learning theories, and he would talk about how terrible it is to lecture. Um, he's like, but that's just what I do. So I'm going to keep lecturing. You're going to listen. I'm going to talk. Um, and he is the one who actually connected me to the research on direct instruction and how it, like its historical impact on student outcomes um, across the U.S. It was, yeah. So um, I'm super thankful to him. And he was so proud of me and my wife both went through the program when we saw him at a conference and had told him that we had gone to like a DI, a nifty training and gotten, uh, gotten trained up in some of the reading mastery programs. His name is Larry Fabulous. 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 Um, that's hilarious though, that he, he knew what worked, but I'm not going to do it. Um, uh, but at least he inspired, inspired you (laughs) to go, go forth and touch, touch many lives. That's cool. All right, so I, I want to know then. Um, I want to go in deeper into what you guys are doing are doing now. Um, so, as I said at the start, you founded your own school, um, and 
uh, as I, I am a principal at Mastery Schools Australia, which was also a school uh, that was founded by um, two courageous, um, crazy, there's a fine line between courage and, uh, and a bit of madness, um, where you decide that you're going to go and, um, and do step away from, from the, the safe and the known and, um, and, and create something, um, that you know is going to work. So, um, tell us all about it. So it's a Thrive, Thrive School. Amy, you want to kick it off? Um, yeah. So Thrive Community School uh, is the name of the school, and it's in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I think there were a couple balls already in motion, Sean, <laughs> uh, when I joined the team. I was at the time working as a teacher. Um, during the pandemic, I, um, I've always worked in the realm of education, but I hadn't been a teacher yet. And during the pandemic, I thought, well, no better time like the present to start studying something I've always wanted to do, um, direct service to students. And so um, I was actually, I was in my first year of teaching when Sean uh, reached out to me to talk to me a little bit about what was going on um, with this new school that was going to be opening uh, or proposed to be opening. And I was like, huh, these are all the things I've ever believed in about education, mastery, learning, STEAM education, inclusion and diversity. And I said, okay, I'll do this. But just so you know, I'm really happy at the job I'm at. I really, really, <laughs> I have a dream job. So I'll, I'll, I'll help out however I can. Um, fast forward a year, I, I, I moved from that school, jumped full board um, on with uh, the the co-founders at the time to, you know, really get that um, charter written out. And um, and then we're o launching into our second year. So that's very, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> and so, and so Sean, tell us, tell us a bit more about the, um, uh, I overheard you saying something about, so, so why did, why did you want to, to do this? Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I, I worked in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana for a long time where there's many charter schools that opened up after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and I was always like, I, I have no desire to like be a principal or a school leader in any way. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm a school psychologist now. I have loved the science of learning that I've learned about and I want to help people apply it. Um, but I, as I, you know, my wife is from Santa Fe, New Mexico, where, where we are located. And I spent some time working in our community in the public schools. And there's so many really good things happening where there's a lot of phenomenal educators. But I really felt like there wasn't enough collective effort within one school happening to have the type of impact that we need to be having on students across the trajectory of their, you know, their primary schooling experience or their K-8 to experience. So I just started to, you know, think about the frustrations that I think many educators and families in our community felt about that lack of collective effort um, and tried to like harness it and funnel it into the ideas of like, well, what could we create that would meet the needs that aren't currently being met? 
We interviewed and met with um, hundreds of people across two years um, throughout this process to get input on like, what kind of programming? How does that jive with our own beliefs and like it, like expertise? And some of it was a great match and some of it we had to push ourselves to learn. Um, yeah, so that that was honestly the, the, the main thing was like, we've, we have an opportunity. We, we, the work started like right before the pandemic. And then it was like this awkward time where it's like, I guess schools are going to open again and we're all going to go back to the workplace and maybe this will happen. Um, so it was a very unique time to be like crafting a vision of what a school is because the vision for what a school should look like changed drastically in the time that it we were did. doing it. It did, it totally, it shifted, um, yeah. Absolutely, I mean, just from like the need for stronger programming around social emotional learning and making sure kids had community because they, they had been so isolated. That had always been a part of the school, but it was like people were so excited about that and we really were pushed to define that more. And then just all of the learning loss or like unfinished learning from that time, um, the idea that we had already been planning to use uh, a lot of DI programming in our school and mastery learning um, was a good fit. Um, so there, there's there's a lot of things that like the pandemic almost, uh, I think, made uh, like our school an even better fit for our community by the time that we opened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. It was, and it was needed before but people were sometimes not willing to acknowledge it. And then COVID had to acknowledge the lag that was being created in all kids um, and even more so in, in disadvantaged kids or disengaged kids. But so, yeah, people couldn't, couldn't look away any longer because they were at home with their children seeing the lag. Yeah. Having to deal with it themselves. Terrifying. (laughs) Um, awesome. So yeah, tell uh, me, um, tell me, th- tell me then how, how is it going? So that's, that's why you created it and, um, and how's it going and, um, and then what next? Amy, why don't you jump in? She's yeah, got, it she's, is. She's got um, well, you know, I was <laughs> just thinking like, how is it going? It is big and it's wonderful. And it's, um, I think the timing was just so right you know, just to, not just COVID, but just for in our area, it was time for for a school like ours to open and be available to the community. And that is reflected in parent and family response. There is not a single person that I talk to that has heard about the school that doesn't have wonderful things to say, um, anecdotes that they've heard from so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, and and the anecdotes that are true. And so um, we we started our first year with 117 students, right, Sean? Yes. We had 15 staff members, uh, you know, small staff. Is that right? 15, right? Yeah. We had 15 last year. And, and we started to build culture that we believed in and be able to address the issues that were coming up around how do you team to support kids? How do you team to support adults who are growing in the profession? And, um, and that was a really special and beautiful thing. And so now we're kind of doubling, we're we're doubling the staff, we're doubling the size of the the student body. And we're going to see that all happen again, and be able to sort of uh, 
build even firmer foundations of what's already been started. And that um, that's just super exciting to see that come up. Um, but also, you know, just on I, I I'm worked as a special education teacher for a majority of the year. There was not one special education meeting that I went into that a parent didn't cry with gratitude, literal tears. And um, I don't say that just for emphasis. It was really special to be like, my child is seen. My child is heard. You you hear me as a parent. You you hear my struggle and um, and you're here with open arms for, for our children and, and providing a service that's valuable. And we haven't seen, whether it be social emotional growth, reading growth, um, maximizing their talents. There were there was just so many stories, and you know, walking out with tissues. I always made started to make sure to bring the tissue box with us because um, what can be a very daunting meeting where you go in to talk about kids' goals was actually such an inspiring community moment. Um, so I would say overall, our school is is doing fabulous, and there's a lot of work to be done, and. Um, I, I believe we have, uh, and I've worked with a lot of educators throughout my life. I've um, seen a lot of folks in the field, and I feel like we have the best group of humans, um, both adult and children, that are going to set out to really make this school a wild success in our area. That's fabulous. So fabulous. Um and I, yeah, I totally agree. At my school, we every student is on an individual learning plan, and um, and those previously, I, like I used to love connecting with parents. I don't know, but it just didn't. It always felt like it was surface level, and we're not actually really talking about the nitty gritty of what's going to make a difference um, for this child. And it's that first meeting of unpacking what they really want and the realistic starting point, but then the the review meeting, oh my gosh, that, that's, uh, then you need boxes and boxes and boxes of tissues for the actual difference that's been made, not just in the classroom to every, every part of their life. It can have such an amazing impact. Um, I love it. Thank you so much, Amy. And, um, so what is the, what's the capacity of your school? So you, you're doubling in size. Um, and so does that take you to full capacity? No, so we're, we'll be at two about 250 students next year. We're authorized to um, have an enrollment up to 633 students um, that we could grow into. Um, our current space that we're in doesn't allow for that in the, its current form. Mm-hmm. So we, we can grow by about 100 more students maximum, um, 80 to 100 in the next couple of years. Um, so we're also working on like, like facility planning um, and how we how we get our how what what size we want to grow to to actually be able to maintain our programming at a higher level. Um, we don't have to go to six thirty three. There's definitely yeah. a need for six thirty three. Um, so yeah. we just we're we're going to grow much slower after this to kind of make sure we're we're being as responsible as as we can with our programming. Yeah get it right so that then if you do get big even bigger again it's it's right for for more kids yeah it's that constant toggle of how much is too much and but then you want you want to you want to be able to serve as many kids as you as you possibly can to to change their lives too 
Okay, so I'm going to, um, I would love to hear a really, a specific, um, we call them magical moments. Um, so what a kind of, um, go a bit deeper into what Amy was saying before, you know, about the, the families and, uh, and the tears. But so what is a, tell us a story of a Thrive Community kid who, um, who had a big impact on you. I'm going to play the intro music. You guys, um, work out who's going to tell, tell the story. All right, who's doing it? Magical moment. Mag. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Sean. What? Okay. Um, so I'm thinking of a student. I, you know, I'm the I'm the principal of the school, but I in the first half of the year I taught reading groups. Um, I love teaching reading, um, and I'm hoping I can teach a group uh, this upcoming year. Um, so I'm thinking about a student oh. whose family had had uh, some real challenges with his education in the first uh, two years, both in terms of. I, I guess just aspects of school culture and safety and the, their child feeling like school is a place that they belong. Um, but even more importantly, the like, sorry, the, um, <laughs> the, the like learning and like, this is why my husband should be here. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. I was like, oh, did I say, is that like pulling on the heartstrings? Um, so, you know, he, the, the child that I'm thinking of, um, his reading growth this past year, he went from being like practically a non-reader. He had some sound symbol correspondences um, as a second grader. He's now reading um, like he's up to like the 25th percentile in oral reading fluency. He's crushed his goal. He's his, you know, his parents sent me videos of him reading chapter books um, over the yeah. summer. Um, and yeah, I just like those things, the wins around learning and building kids confidence up and their self-esteem as learners is the stuff that like, that's what this is all about. And um, to see yeah. that happen. And that's just one example. There were so there's so many kids who made growth like that. Yeah, that's and and we know um, that particularly with re, with reading, that um that's it's not it's about the reading, but then it's about so much more. It's about the access to be able to communicate with people and to to understand the world, and it's just it's so much more. So, what were you going to say, Amy? Well, I was just going to say that um, just as I think about Sean teaching those reading groups. Um, just watching the students respond to that interaction, that one-on-one, -on -one, um, just I'm just thinking about their smiling faces because I, I, it like knowing about the growth is one thing, and then knowing about the kind of the other emotional side is is another piece of that magic. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I want to also now. Um, so. Uh, Schools are amazing places. I know you're changing lives in there, um, but it doesn't always go to plan. And we're working with children and you're working with, what, four-year-olds to 13-year-olds. 
Um, they say the darndest things. They do the darndest things. Um, so I'm going to play an intro for a teaching tale and uh, give me a story um, that only teachers can, can tell. It only happens with teachers. Teaching tales. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's my son. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> what do you got? So this is where we tell a tale that is like, that's Changing like. Tales. <laughs> Duh. 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 Oh. Do, you, do you have a good one to start with, Amy? Oh, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to isolate them. Um. Well, it, it's probably like more squishy, lovey kind of um, tale. I just got to be a kindergarten teacher this last year, which I'd never, well, it'd been a long time since I'd worked with such young children because I'd worked in a middle school setting for so long. I had forgotten so much about about this age. Um, so, you know, one of my favorite things was um, just being able to sit with them. And there would be, you know, mornings where kids who the previous day had been yelling at me and, you know, throwing, throwing materials. And then they just come over and sit in my lap or they come over and just sort of like hover for a minute. And all of a sudden my arm without me even knowing it is wrapped around them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one student in particular is like very heartwarming to me, you know, like at the end of the, at the end of the year, he said, you know, Miss Amy, I really love you and I'm going to miss you so much. Aww. And that was, that was, that was very heartwarming. Um, one thing on my competitive side, because I'm a very competitive person and uh, I, I run and I consider myself to be fast. I do. And apparently not against a kindergartner. So <laughs> we took our, our students were, our school's out on this beautiful property and juniper and pine trees. And so we had a little picnic which maybe that was the thing that slowed me down was that I'd had some salami and cheese prior to racing my students, but I let any student who wanted to race me, race me down this little Canyon that we have. Um, I didn't win a single race. I got to, you know, get up in the sand and I'm like, I'm really going to do this. And I didn't let them win. I gave it my best effort. Um, and I'm a person that gets up and goes for morning runs every day. And I, not beat a single one of my kindergartners. So um, I think those are moments you don't get to get to see uh, all that often in, in the outside of the classroom world. That's so, so true. That's very cool. That doesn't happen in a bank, Amy. Um, that doesn't happen. That nope. happens only, only in schools that you can be um, uh, really put in your place by about your physical capabilities by a five-year-old. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you have one, Sean? Yeah, so um, there's just so many funny ones. Um, I'll, tell, I'll tell two quick ones. So um, first day of school, as a new school, a lot of new faces. We had met a lot of the families and kids during orientation, but that was also a many adults involved process. So I did not like master every single name and family at that time. I'm, I, I'm, you, I'm very good at that, but say you want to school, mom walks up to me um, for one of our students and she's like, hey, just so you know, and this is her son is a kindergartner. 
She's like, he runs. Like, he runs away all the time. Like, you're going to have to keep your eyes on him. He's a runner. Um, so I was like, no problem. You know, like, we, we know that that's like, there's a lot of kinder, younger kids that still think that it's sort of a game and they're going to run away from you. Um, <clears throat> except I got, like, the kids mixed up when I was out helping at recess. So, like, I'm watching the wrong kid. And the kid that is the runner is, like, way running off, like, an acre away. Um, So then I'm like, I literally have to run after the kid, even though that's not what you're supposed to ever do. Because I may lose him because it's, like, a forest. Um, So we were able to, like, do a lot of time with the supervision. But on day one, I was like, this is not what I was imagining would be happening on the first day of school, this new school we opened. Um, everything else was perfect, but I had to go running through the the, um, the arroyos in in uh, on our campus. And then about two weeks later, our sixth grade teacher had said the kids could bring something in on Friday for show and tell. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I see the teacher come down and she has a cat on her shoulder. And... <laughs> I'm like, what happened? Did that, like, cat live on the property and, like, sneak into the building? She's like, no. A student brought the cat in his school bag to school, and the the bag was, like, moving around on the floor. (laughs) And so I had to – I called his grandma. I was like, hey, he brought a cat to school? She's like, you know, I thought it seemed like I shouldn't let him take it, but he said it was show and tell, and he said that – he was allowed to. I was like, you know what? If it's ever involving animals, you should just double check with us in the future. <laughs> so we had a cat. Oh, that's, that's fabulous. That is so good. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, so I just want to. I want to finish off. We're all at this National um, Institute for Direct Instruction. Um, so it's amazing to have all these like-minded um, individuals here. We're in the heartland of direct instruction where the great Sig Ingerman was born. Um, so, well, actually, I don't know if he was born here. He was educated here. Um, the, the Brain Trust created DI um, right here. So what um, what have you been big learnings been or what's what's your imperative behind using um direct instruction why why do you believe it's really important amy you want to kick it off um well i'm new to direct instruction so i learned um (laughs) during the pandemic casey sean's wife trained me in it because i was in a school that was supposed to be using but hadn't hadn't really kicked it off. And I said, well, there's this program people had told me that I should be um, using. What am I going to do? And she was so generous and, you know, gave me a, a rundown through Zoom, um, which was, wow, I just think back to that. So um, so I'm very new to it, but it didn't take long. I mean, even through that Zoom session and implementing it with my students, it was like, and I was not very good, obviously, right? My first, I hadn't really been trained on it, but I was doing it. And the kids had had an experience maybe three years before, and they still retained everything. And they retained when you answer on signal and how to go through and, and decode words. And they used their fingers to track. And 
um, that was really powerful because I'd never seen anything else in the educational space work that magically. So my takeaway here that, you know, that I'm really excited to be here and then take back with us is um, just kind of the, the fidelity of the program and making sure to maintain the fidelity of the program because I think um, it can be used. You can use any book, right? But if you're not using it with fidelity, and I just think about how exciting it will be for us to have um, the growth when we see wh where are these kindergartners that we've been working with with this program? What are they going to look like when they leave eighth grade? I'm super excited to see what what is even possible when you have that because I've never experienced it. Awesome. And Sean? Yeah, and I would say I would say for me, like. I, I've I've been trained. I actually have done training. Uh, like I'm, a, I've worked for Nifty as a trainer and an implementation manager. So on the like program front, like I'm bought in. I I I want, and because it is so efficient and effective, um, that's like. Let me back up. We use direct instruction at Thrive because our school is like. We're not a university setting to be experimenting and trying and doing research on children. We have a responsibility to use the most efficient and effective methods to make sure kids are learning, um, especially our earliest learners and our students who have not had adequate uh, instruction or effective instruction um, in their early days who are now middle schoolers. Like we just, we, we don't have time to waste. We need to do this well. And we don't like the the margin for error is is like zero. Um, so that's one reason. And then like the other thing that I'm super excited to be taking away from this conference is that um, I'm, I've been able to go to two really phenomenal sessions, one uh, with Dr. Anita Archer and another <laughs> on the, the champs behavior, like positive behavior support systems in school. And I just it's so good to be able to see how, you know, DI programming within the context of that, that like, these aren't just like random curricular programs to teach, like they fit within a large body of research and evidence around the most efficient and effective ways to teach students. Um, and when we have things like CHAMPS, how do we explicitly and directly teach behavioral expectations and reinforce them for student success? When we think about explicit teaching in non-DI program areas. How do we apply these evidence-based methods to make sure kids are learning at really high rates? And then within the DI programming, how do we use big DI programs to make sure like all of that is just like, we're ready to like, we wish we had another week off before our teachers come back, but we're gonna go bring it right back to our building and jump into a couple weeks of professional de development with our staff. Oh, it's exciting, such exciting times. And it's so empowering for a teacher to um, uh, we I, I can only imagine every um, base of what Amy said, your teaching staff uh, have really bought into that moral imperative. But then it's sometimes hard to know. So but how do I how do I make a difference in every kid's life every minute of the day that we're um, that they're with me? And um, and and it is through explicit instruction. When there's no DI programs, that's your hand on heart, knowing um, where every person in your group is at every every given moment. It is possible, um, but it's not possible unless you're not using something like this. And then there is that guessing 
Um, I love how you put that, um, Sean, that we're not here to experiment on kids. We've got to use it actually what works. I'm, I'm taking that back with me um, uh, to the schools that I work <laughs> with as well. That's, that's powerful stuff, really powerful stuff. Um, thank you. I just want to say thank you to both of you. Um, thanks for giving your time to talk to me um, and uh, everyone who tunes in to Teachers Change Lives. Um, and thank you for the work that you're doing at Thrive Community School and having that courage to, to do something different and, um, and to, uh, to make a big change in those kids' lives. So, yeah, so great to meet you both. Thank you thank so much you. for having us. All right, we're going we're gonna to intro out. Um, so thanks so much. I'll see you back at the conference. All right. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Powered by Riverside.